nobody talks about that personal parallel journey that has to be in step with the growth of a brand or a company. It's just been something that was really very interesting to navigate, albeit I was not prepared for how much growth has to take place in order for a brand to grow and get off the ground. Welcome back to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators who are transforming health. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. When Adonica Shaw founded Wing Women, it was to address a very specific personal need. Adonica had experienced a difficult pregnancy. Preeclampsia had turned an otherwise healthy birth into a medical emergency. Afterward, she looked around and there was no one to talk to about what she'd been through or somewhere she felt she could go for advice. So she built a safe space to talk about issues around women's health and maternal health. It was all virtual at first and provided curated communities of support online. But one day, Adonica realized that there were services she wanted to provide to her customers that just couldn't be handled on an app. There were also services she wanted to provide that couldn't get reimbursed without a physical component. So she made a leap that very few health tech founders make. She decided to open up a physical clinic. She found suitable space in South Boston, fitted it out to her specifications, and put out her proverbial shingle. As we'll discuss in the conversation, this has come with real challenges. There's a reason why many founders prefer SaaS business models over bricks and mortar. Dealing with local zoning, difficult neighbors, staffing, it's a lot. But designing a physical space also allows Shaw to lay the foundation for a new way for women to get care and to support one another along the way. Let's get into the conversation. Adonica Shaw, CEO and founder at Wing Women. Thank you for joining me on Startup Health Now. I'm excited to be here and thanks for having me. It's been uh, really cool to watch your journey, watch the evolution of the of the Wing Women platform and the brand. Start by talking to me about the original vision because we're going to talk about how it's changed and how it's uh, how how new it looks now. Talk to me about the original vision and where the seed of the idea came from. Yes. So Wing Women was launched um, in 2021, and it was initially ideated to be an online peer support platform for women who were navigating issues around their reproductive health. Um, I had preeclampsia with my son, Aiden, in 2017. And I know that navigating that period in the postpartum period in the years after was somewhat difficult. And so when I was ready to talk, there was nobody to talk to (laughs) because women's reproductive health and maternal health care is still somewhat stigmatized. And so when I came up with the platform initially, it was because I was like, I can't find anybody to talk to, but if I'm having this problem, other people are probably having the same one. And so I wanted to create a space where I could find people to chat with and they could find me. And so that's really where all of this started. What did those early days teach you both about the conversation around uh, reproductive health and preeclampsia, but also around what it takes to get a you know a health tech company off the ground? Well, it's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> and, and, it, and it doesn't look easy. It's even harder than that. Right. <laughs> but I think from the outside, before you um, get that first check or before you find your, your um, team of supporters, Uh, It looks like all you have to do is have this great idea and go out and talk to enough people and get enough people to buy in before you launch. And it's really so much more than that. Yes, there's the technical component, but I also think there's the personal part, Mm. Uh, the part that I think I wasn't as 
aware was going to be a part of my journey was scaling a business at the same time that I was scaling myself and my own personal skill sets. And from Mm -hmm. the outside, nobody talks about that personal parallel journey that has to be in step with the growth of a brand or a company. And so it's just something that was really very interesting to navigate, albeit I was not prepared for how much growth has to take place in order for a brand to grow and get off the ground. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more because, you know, you're not unique in that other founders are going to be going through that same challenge. So what were some of the personal uh, areas of growth that you had to address that might apply to others as well? Well, it's one that I've more recently accepted. And by more recently, I'd say within the last eight to nine months, um, one of my challenges, and I didn't realize it was a challenge, was that I was so deeply entrenched in my lived experience where all of this started that it made it hard for the brand to grow. I now have a better understanding that if you only build for yourself, you miss everyone else. Mm. And so by me being so entrenched in the way that it had to look and how it had to feel and what features and what services and centering them all around my personal experience, I didn't realize that I was handicapping the company. And I think that that's not something that's just specific to myself. I find that a lot of founders have similar issues because we get so in love with that first idea um, that we don't want to change it. And when I open myself up to taking feedback from other people and allowing myself to be challenged in how and why the company needed to be built, who needed to be involved, how much money does it cost to do it? And even beyond money resources, what does that look like? And so that was a huge piece of learning that I had to relinquish I had to surrender if you will yeah yeah (laughs) to that process because again at the very beginning it started with this little seed of mine that really got it off the ground but brands don't grow based on the opinions and the beliefs solely of the founder and it can't that's such a great point and you know it's so often our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses you know when I talk to founders from health tech companies eight out of 10 have this burning personal story, this this place where it's coming out of. And that is a thing of strength for them. And so you're sort of reflecting on the flip side of that coin and, and the limitations of that of that model. So I think that's a, a huge word of advice to any of our founders who are basing a bit too much of their, their vision on their own personal experience. I think that's part of the thing that you learn the longer you stay in is that there is a difference between a founder and a CEO. Mm. And I think what I learned through this journey is that founder can be the person that ideated a company or an idea or the brand or whatever, but the CEO has to see it scale and they have to be mm. nimble enough to not be so tied down to those, uh, to those things. So yeah. that's the fine line. I think that founders learn to cross over if they're willing to and want to, is going beyond that personal experience into becoming a CEO and looking at the facts, looking at the law, looking at um, the way in which a company can be built um, as a CEO and not purely from the perspective of a founder because they are two very different things. Interesting. So speaking of scaling, part of the reason why we're having this call is because you have evolved the Wing Women product platform vision to include a an, an IRL, a bricks and mortar, a physical location in Boston, and uh, I was reflecting on this before our call, and it's a it's a move that very few health tech companies 
uh, make. Most of them think that that would be an impossibility to have sort of physical space uh, when they have an app or a platform. So before we get into the actual place, I want to hear all about how it's developing. What was the thought process behind going this route? Well, it was twofold. The first was looking at how do we maximize the platform and maximize reimbursement? What are Mm. the rules and the legalities around reimbursement? How do you work in that space? Um, I was talking to another founder just this week and we were kind of talking about the fact that it can be really hard to get reimbursement just for a health tech platform or just for an app. Mm. And so again, the longer you're in, you got to get real strategic, like, okay, how is this business model going to operate? Where's the money going to come from? How am I going to pay employees? You know? Mm. And one of the things that I realized was in the business model, I wanted there to be some piece of myself uh, because again, the business grows and it can't just revolve around Adonica and who she was, but at its core, Mm. who do we serve? Where did this start and how do we include them as we grow? And I wanted to make sure that we could include the Medicaid patient population. Um, I think what's not widely known is that Medicaid doesn't reimburse for telehealth only business models. You have to have a physical address. And so part of how and why we evolved is in part because in order to scale the company that way, something has to be physical. So Mm. that's one part of why we made the jump. And I think the other part is the reality is we're living in the post Roe v. Wade um, reproductive health care landscape. And there's just a lot of sensitive information that some people may not feel comfortable putting online. And so We wanted to make sure that we had a hybrid model to meet those people in the moment. And so it wasn't something that was purely reliant upon what they were willing to disclose online, but showing up for them in those moments of vulnerability in person where we can hear them talk and let them be seen and be felt in our presence. So part of it was I wanted to make sure that I could include Medicaid. um, But the other part of it was the time in which we are living right now and having a company that revolves around reproductive health care. Um, is, is sensitive to people. And so yeah. I want to make sure that we can talk in person and and, um, and show up for them. Yeah. The, re- the reimbursement piece is really interesting. And just the, the, just the bare fact that having a physical space makes something more reimbursable. Do you think that more digital health companies should entertain this idea of physical space in order to make reimbursement more, more feasible for a, for a great platform? I think it depends on how they're able to monetize because there's a ton of companies that don't have to require or don't have to include Medicaid um, or Medicare in their reimbursement strategy. That was something that's personal to me because I'm like, man, built this whole company and then it would be weird to make something that I couldn't technically use. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But but assuming you've got founders and we have dozens and dozens of founders that care about that population, uh, and yet maybe are still stuck in the platform mindset. I just wonder if it's an interesting sort of paradigm, you know, switch that that a lot of folks would never have considered a physical space, but maybe this unlocks something for them. Well, I think so. And I think the other thing to remember that I also had to work through, because when you look online, you see all of these startups with like, 20, $30 million raised and you see yep. their faces and they're beautiful. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I think it can be a deterrent when you see something that looks that nice and you're like, well, I can never have a physical space. But if the pathway that includes Medicare reimbursement just requires you to have a space, it doesn't have to look like a million dollar business. I mean, everybody starts somewhere. Yeah. And, um, you know, if there is a way to do it where you do have a physical office, albeit small, and you want to do that, that's something you can do. I'm just saying, like, don't let... Yeah the really pretty pictures on social media deter you from um, operating in real life. Yeah. If there is a way for you to do it financially, even without getting like beautiful um, real estate, like there's always a way to do it. You just have to have a door yeah. has to be able to walk through said door and talk to you or your, your um, employees or your staff. And um, that doesn't have to be an 8,000 square foot location. It can in, really in Manhattan. Right. 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 <laughs> you can so, go to a small town and get something for six hundred dollars a month and make it work, and still and still meet that requirement, so you can serve that patient population. I like that. So let's talk about your location. You're in Boston. What part of Boston are you in? Southie. South, Southie, <laughs> and but you're not from there, correct? You're California. I'm not. So okay. this is what's interesting. So I'm from Southern California, mm-hmm. and um, I did not grow up in Boston or the New England area. But my uh, physician partner, uh, Dr. Bergeron, he is from here. And so when I was telling him about this grand idea that I had as a patient advocate to make these services grounded and available to women and birthing people, he was like, well, I'm willing to help you, but you know, going to have to move across the country. Mm. And I was like, initially a little in shock, like, how much do I really believe in this dream? <laughs> Right. Because if somebody yeah. comes up tomorrow and grants your wish, but you're going to have to move. Yeah. It's a big deal. Would you do it? It's a big deal. And I did it. So we ended up in Southie. Um, I know South Boston has its own history, um, but it is also an area that is changing. Um, there's a lot of diversity here. Um, we're north of Dorchester. Um, and I've started to make some new friends. So it's made the adjustment to Boston um, easier because for a while I would just come and stay in my Airbnb and not go out. <laughs> mm. Did you did you buy a new winter wardrobe? That's what everybody's been telling me. And I'm like, oh, I got some jackets from H&M. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just sure. wait. <laughs> sure. Like, do you have like a real scarf? And I was like, define real. <laughs> um, you know, and I, uh, I was going to get a, will bring my Prius. And then they were like, you might not want to bring a Prius to Boston in the snow. So nice. We're making so, changes from my California ways. And yeah. uh, but the point is you made the leap. You came, you came across the country and you're, you're starting something fresh because you believe in this vision. Um, tell me about the, the space itself. Are you in it now? I am. Nice. How does it feel just to be in a space that you're cultivating? Oh, like heaven. Um, it's so exciting because this was actually one big, like 8,000 square foot loft and I walked in and I was like, well, <laughs> I'm yeah. never gonna be able to afford being in here. Um, but they offered me the opportunity to change the space. And so I redrew it and we divided it in half. So it's about 1,700 square feet. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a couple of exam rooms, but the space itself is beautiful. We've got a beautiful view of Boston or Southie. Um, we're adjacent to Seaport, so you can see Seaport on a beautiful sunny day, mm-hmm. and you've got really high ceilings, and it's just very open and airy. Um, it's intimate in that 
people will be able to come in and like hang out on the couch or at the tables. They can work while they wait for an appointment. Um, but being here is like beyond my wildest dreams. Cause if you think mm. about it, it started really with me in a hospital bed in 2017 to now being this physical manifestation of um, the people who've been supportive of my journey and uh, the folks that are like really championing what wing women represents now. So yeah. it's a huge change. And there's way more players that are involved in making it come to fruition. Yeah. A physical space, you know, allows conversations to happen that, that might not have happened otherwise. What, what kinds of conversations are you looking forward to having and are excited to see kind of bubble to the surface through this space? Well, I think there's a few. I think the main thing that we stand to offer with the location is that we're going to be doing screenings for PCOS, endometriosis, and uterine fibroids. Um, if you go on social media and you hashtag search any of these conditions, you're going to see patients talking about how long it typically takes to get a diagnosis mm. or issues around how they manage their symptoms. And usually they find themselves in like an online chat group or online peer support programs or um, uh, like organizations that they can join and get information. And so mm. what I'm most looking forward to is like, you don't have to be in front of your computer to get that information. You can come and sit on my couch <laughs> and we can all sit around together <laughs> and drink tea and have coffee. Yeah. Just talk like mm. what's happening with you. How do we help? How do we show up for you? You know, that's where the concept of wing women came from is like, when something happens to you, you should have somebody by your side. And so we get to have those intimate conversations in person and build that warmth and that feeling that sometimes you can't, really pinned down with technology. It's more of a feeling that you have to cultivate and bring into a physical space. And so we get to do that here. Now, are there elements of your business model that you have to adjust to allow for those things that you just mentioned, like coming in more quickly, having the space to talk, or is it just, is it just the vision of the space? Is it just who you are? And if you want it, you can do it. Well, I think it's a mix of both. We did have to change the model a bit because when you do screenings, for example, the way that we built the screenings, it's not just built off of health history. It's not just built off of sending your medical records. Like there might have to be a physical exam or an ultrasound. And that's something that if you have an online platform, you can't do an ultrasound through the computer. Either you have to refer them to another provider um, or find another way to offer the service. But for us, since it's comprehensive, we can still work with them online, but there's elements that required that when we schedule patients, for example, what does patient flow look like? Which appointments do we schedule or stack on certain days versus others? Mm. Um, it's been a really unique journey to kind of map what the patient journey looks like on technology versus a hybrid. How do we get them from online to in-person and then follow-ups back online? Mapping those journeys out is very unique when you change the business model. And that's something we had to do for this. Okay. So am I hearing this correctly that by having a more tech enabled clinic that does online, does hybrid, does in person, you're able to make more space for the people who do come in in person? Yeah, you can make more space depending upon how you schedule the appointments. Um, but I think the other really cool thing about that is if we wanted to, we could very well schedule appointments where we had women or birthing people who have endometriosis all coming in on one day. So when they come in that day, they're surrounded by other people 
who have the same condition. And so it's mm. not just, I'm going to the doctor. It's, I'm going to the wing women today. Yeah. Whatever happens while I'm there, whoever I meet, whoever engages with me uniquely understands my condition and my, my journey. And so that's the beauty of something like this because you're not disconnected from the other patients or the other people in the space with something that's hybrid. We can very well build the online experience to be one thing, but in person cultivate in, um, an environment where people can talk and learn and listen and have support while they're in our physical location. Will you proactively facilitate those conversations? Will it be, you know, um, circles to share? I would like to, um, but more than more, like more organic. Happens. Like I would like to just because I like being patient facing and sure. You know, again, when I started all of this, it was like, okay, let's just come together. <laughs> let's yeah. just all talk. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, we've grown and this is no longer just my lived experience. So yeah. um, when we get ready to open up those types of services, we'll probably have a facilitator on hand to facilitate uh, patient groups or support groups, probably in the evenings or on the weekends. Interesting. So, uh, and then help me understand sort of the tech enabled side of this, because you've, you've moved into the clinic environment, but you're retaining sort of the platform the the yeah the the tech enabled piece. What are some of those things that you're bringing across that allow you to be more efficient than maybe your average clinic dealing with reproductive health? So it's twofold. Number one, I kind of kept a little bit of the old. So initially, like I said, you know, it started as an online peer support group. So um, instead of just having the platform where we're just talking back and forth and doing virtual visits. They still, patients still have the ability to go into those communities. And so they still get that sense of peer support. Mm -hmm. um, outside of that, we have the ability to do follow-ups more frequently with the virtual care through the platform. So that's something else that helps the tech-enabled component of this. So we can cycle people more quickly than we'd be able to see them in person. But for the in-person component, um, strategically bringing them in at times, it makes sense for them. And hopefully, um, choosing to bring them in when there are other patients who are navigating the same patient journey in the space at the same time. Yes. So what's next? Have you opened your doors yet? Well, our virtual doors <laughs> open okay. on November 27th. So we're a few weeks out. Okay. Um, it's really exciting. We went from, and I mean, you've seen my journey. So it just started with me. Mm -hmm. Now we've got what? 17 plus doulas and health coaches across five states. Wow. Um, we have gynecologists, nurse practitioner, medical assistant. Um, we have a couple of handfuls of advisors. And so this has just really grown beyond what it yeah. started as. And mm -hmm. it's developed into something I think a lot of people really understand and believe in. So. Mm. Okay. So that, those are the digital doors, end of November. And then the physical space, what's the vision for opening there? Well, that depends on the city of Boston. Because okay. All right. Well, that, is, that is one other hurdle. I'll make a few calls. I'll make a few calls. <laughs> well, that is that is one of the other harsh realities of building a location or mm -hmm. uh, having that physical space. Like you think it's tough to like come up with a go to market on online and have a platform that launches, throw in contractors, permits. Mm. and having to navigate within your local community. And so navigating um, politics and, you know, with women's reproductive health, it's not intended to be political, but 
depending upon who you talk to, it could be yeah. uh, going around and meeting the different people in the neighborhood. Like there's other layers that are things you have to consider when you open. So it's not just, I'm going to open my doors because I'm ready. It's like, did you go yeah. down the street and meet the other business owners? Mm. Did you know you're there. If something goes wrong, do you have an HVAC guy? Like <laughs> there are practical yeah. things yeah. you have to worry about. And so I would like to say, uh, Hopefully the being of, of November, or not November, excuse me, December, mm-hmm. but some of this is reliant upon permits and things being signed off, but the space itself, we're just down to the sinks and the plaster on the walls. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's really- So you're close, you're close. End of the year, you're coming close. down to it. Yep, <laughs> you're close. And uh, and I'm guessing folks are already getting the word word about it. Are you getting some inquiries already? Oh, yeah. We've had people starting to call in on um, the patient line. They've been emailing in. I've been getting a ton of emails from people who are here in Boston and other places that have just learned about what we stand for, who are wanting to partner and get involved. So it's been admittedly a little overwhelming because I was like, hi, I'm new here. And then everybody's like, hi, welcome to the club. Who are you? How do we get in touch? You know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, all that's it's all happening and coming together at the same time. So did you do, you described sort of going out and making sure you met the neighbors, the other businesses. Did you, did you do that? I'm curious what you learned kind of uh, getting out into the, into the surrounding blocks. Well, I'll say I learned that there's a huge difference in West Coast business ownership and Mm. East Coast business ownership. Um, I live in the San Francisco Bay area. And I think one of the things I've noticed about doing business there is that people tend to be really disconnected. Um, that and the people that generally have influence and power can be people who are highly educated, um, have great financial success. But I would say being here in Boston, wealth may look very different. Families may have multi-generational businesses. And Mm -hmm. yes, you do need to go down the street and introduce yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a matter of just coming in and putting up a business just because you want a business there. It's like, how well do you also play in that sandbox do people generally know who you are and what you stand for? Are you willing to be supportive of local communities? So there's just differences that I have had to um, consider being here in Boston and, and things that I've learned in that process too. You know, this is such a time of transition for you and the company. If we were to sit down 12 months from now and look back on the first year, uh, first 11 months, what will you hope has happened over that period of time? Oh, that we help a lot of people. Yeah. Um, that's my founder answer. My yeah. CEO answer <laughs> is beyond helping people that we're able to create a measurable um, impact in the time to diagnosis for PCOS, endometriosis, uterine fibroids. I think that there is a gap in care that a lot of Gen Alpha, Gen Z, Millennial, Gen X women talk about, particularly across social networks. Mm. And if we're able 12 months from now to show you the data that shows when you concentrate on supporting women and reducing their time in crisis, that they not only gain pieces of their life and their health back, but there's a financial benefit to payers, um, to patients and their families. And so 12 months out, I want to see evidence of how us being here has helped create um, impact, of course, but on the financial side, what it actually means for everybody that is in healthcare in this space and working with those three conditions in particular. That sounds good. I'm gonna have to just check in in 12 months and just see how that 
how that lines up. Adonica, thank you for taking the time with me today. This is an exciting moment in the life of Wing Women, and I applaud you for taking the, the bold step of opening up this space in South Boston, and it's going to be exciting to see how you grow in 2024. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.